Prague, 2020. History is happening right now. All over the world, the same story, connected and highlighted by the toppling of monuments. Ozymandias is proud to offer part three of a five-part podcast series titled An Ordeal in Prague. The keystone of this series is the removal of Marshal Ivan Konev's Statue of Liberation, which on April 3rd, 2020, was removed from its perch in Prague. This Statue of Liberation, when it was built, why it was built, and the story of its removal involves two biographies, one of Marshal Ivan Konev himself and one of Václav Havel. Both of these men are 20th century giants, but their history continues as a 21st century drama. An ordeal in Prague, a clash of geographies, ideologies, and lasting legacies shows us the light of liberalism and the shadow of authoritarianism. Let's dive in. Dealing with sometimes the uncomfortable and always the historical, my name is Marcus and this is Ozymandias. you know, growing up, maybe your high school, maybe, you know, it's like a summer program, thinking about like a theater department or like an arts class of some variety. Now picture from, you know, the troop, the thespian troop, who would have been the folks that raised their hand to be a stagehand? Not the lead, not the chorus members, not the box office helpers, the stagehands. Now, thinking about that person, it's pretty fair to say that stagehands are not, you know, raising their hand for that job, thinking that they're going to be remembered at the curtain call. Awkward and shy, Václav Havel started out as a stagehand. He grew to become a playwright. He was a self-proclaimed subscriber of Samuel Beckett, the theater of the absurd, as they say. As far as absurdity goes, there is no waiting for Godot in this biography. Honestly, I don't know of a modern biography that is more improbable, yet dramatically coherent. It starts so early in Václav Havel's timeline without a blemish of biography boredom it makes it all the way to his curtain call. This stagehand changes the world. Without further ado, Vaslev was born a bourgeois boy, a middle-class boy. He became a bohemian playwright, literally. And he goes from this bohemian status, he becomes a dissident. And for the crime of writing subversive essays, he's jailed. Then letters from jail graduate this dissident into becoming a politico organizer of a counterculture movement called Charter 77. In the end, in 1989, this stagehand, morphed playwright, morphed politico dissident, he sees his world implode around him in Prague, in Czechoslovakia in 1989. 
his world turned upside down. As Soviet rule collapses, he finds himself, Vaslav Havel, leading demonstrations in the heart of Prague. Before you know it, hundreds of thousands of people are shouting, Havel na Harad, Havel na Harad, Havel to the castle, Havel to the castle. In a blink, this stagehand is now the head of state, the president of Czechoslovakia. The actual liberator of Prague has now arrived in this podcast series. In 1989, this playwright begins work from Prague Castle, the same seat of power from the Habsburg monarchy, the same seat of power of Berlin's Nazi invaders, and the same seat of power from the Kremlin's hard communism. Havel na Harad. Can you imagine? Uh, Václav Havel couldn't really imagine it either. Um, here's a quote from him that is just amazing, thinking about him being in this seat of power that was previously occupied by Nazis and, and hard communists. When I first came here, there were so many things that I found absurd, Havel told The New Yorker in the early 90s. Uh, with a sly, can you believe it, smile creasing across his face, The New Yorker reports, uh, he goes on to say, for example, it seemed to us on the first day that there were three rooms close to where we're doing this interview now, which you couldn't enter in the castle of Prague. When we finally got inside, he's talking about these three rooms that he was kind of wondering about, Václav Havel, the new president, discovered a kind of communications facility in the castle that he was just elected to where there was a communications facility for contacts within the Warsaw Pact. So, Václav Havel took advantage of that set of secret communications in a secret room in what was supposed to be a freely elected, you know, his new office, and he sees that there's this communications array, so he just goes in and goes ahead and types up the letter and a New Year's greeting to Mikhail Gorbachev. <laughs> Uh, later, Václav Havel says that he heard from confidential sources that the KGB chief didn't really appreciate the fact that they'd found those facilities in the castle, uh, let alone went ahead and just used them and abused them and sent a fun, hey, FYI, I know about your spying, uh, all the way up into, into the Kremlin itself. Havel had been preceded by dictators. And therefore, he had to learn how to be a president nearly all on his own. He says that at times he felt thoroughly insufficient. He says that he felt like a fraud. A familiar Prague voice, the voice of Kafka, told Václav Havel what anyone who's grown up in a police state knows instinctively, that this can all end as easily as it started. This is Václav Havel some more. I'm a kind of person who would not be the least surprised if, in the very middle of my presidency, I were to be summoned and led off to stand trial before some shadowy tribunal or taken straight to a quarry to break rocks. He told a startled audience at a Hebrew university in Jerusalem. This, he says that just within six months after taking office in 1989. You know, now stagehand the president of Czechoslovakia. We'll get there, we'll explain it, but just continue to think about that transition. 
Vaslav goes on, you know, at the speech at the university in Jerusalem, he goes on to say, nor would I be surprised if I were to suddenly hear the reveille and wake up in my prison cell and then with great amusement proceed to tell my fellow prisoners everything that had happened to me in the past six months. He thinks maybe he's dreaming. The lower I am, the more proper my place seems. And the higher I am, the stronger my suspicion is that there has been some mistake. What a quote. In Havel's 13 years as president, first of Czechoslovakia, and then after the Slovaks and Czechs divided into two states, and that's in 1993, he becomes the president of the Czech Republic. Um, throughout his time, in his 13 years, his advisors, this group around Václav Havel, apparently repeatedly begged him to be less flowery in his presidential addresses and the way that he ran the government. Havel, however, would not be edited. The presidential speech to Havel was the only literary genre left to him. Now that he's in office, he can't be in you know, the plays and writing of the plays that he used to be. Now the presidential speech is his literary genre. This is the tool that he has remaining. He says that it was the most direct means of expressing not only his personal feelings, but also the spirit of the distinctively human politics that he wanted to encourage after so many decades of cold, inhuman ideology. Some aides tried to stop him, but these speeches had a therapeutic value for him. Havel's closest aide, Vladimir Hansel, uh, reported to the New Yorker. And at times, Havel seemed not so much a president as we think about a president, and more like, like a Kafka, reading from his diaries, providing an inventory, uh, a live diary as a president of the things that he speaks to that, that haunted him. There is a powerful feeling of general alienation, an experience of unbearable oppressiveness, a need constantly to explain myself to someone, to defend myself, a longing for an unattainable order of things, a longing that increases as the terrain I walk through becomes more muddled and confusing. Everything I encountered displays to me its absurd aspect first. I feel as though I am constantly lagging behind powerful, self-confident men whom I can never overtake, let alone emulate. I find myself essentially hateful, deserving only mockery. Let's just stop right there. Imagine, imagine having a president who is able to have so little ego that that is how they choose to lead their country by by putting the imposter syndrome as it's, you know, in, in, in 2020 so often referred to, you hear CEOs, you hear business folks, you hear politicians talking about imposter syndrome where, you know, you get to the mantle and then now you have that self-doubt and anguish. Well, Vaslav Havel is, in 1989, 1990, 1991, he is just wearing it on his sleeve, a true representative of the people. In 2001... After his presidential term, Prime Minister Václav Krauss, uh, who was a critic, a Czechoslovakian and Prague critic of Havel, said, I don't believe what he says. I don't believe what he stands for or what he does. I don't understand this civil society. 
For me, all of this is an empty phrase. He is the most elitist person I've ever seen in my life. I am a normal person. He is not. It's divisive. It's different. Undeniably, what we're going to talk about, and I'm throwing you right into this, Václav Havel, bohemian stage right, turned Kafka-esque president, now the leader of all of this history that we've been speaking, he comes to power in 1989, and with a few notable exceptions, including that critic who we just you know gave him some air coverage for, almost everyone is quick to point out the dimensions of Havel's moral and political achievements and his importance in reshaping Europe in really... You know, World War II is quite a while from now, but 1989, we're in the post-war kind of era. We're, we're on the upswing now. We're bouncing back as a society in this part of the world. For a country that had lost so many of its best minds to deportation, so many of its best minds to the Holocaust, to exile, to immigration, um, to, you know, Ivan Konev coming into town and putting folks through the spy network onto the trains and taking them to the gulag in Russia, never to be heard from again, disappeared in Siberia. You know, for that world to create this environment, Havel embodied a sense of the future. What is next of Czech idealism? As a dissident, playwright, and then as a president, he was consistently the strongest Czech voice on reviving civil liberties and human rights, on restoring a sense of public responsibility at a moment of post-communist apathy and greed. Havel was a playwright and an essayist who wrote, you know, as if censorship did not exist. When he became a politician, he behaved as if his country, small as it was, and you know, on the map where it is, were to be indispensable in the reordering of Europe. This came from a place of moral authority and moral glamour. And he used La Vie Bohème to exert an outsized influence over the world. A different way to go about your business. Havel's political philosophy, in summary, you can kind of think of it as anti-consumerism, humanitarianism, environmentalism, civil activism, and direct democracy. Havel's presidency saw him be right in the middle of an election led by the Velvet Revolution. And within just a few years, within four years in that first term, he also oversaw then the dissolution of Czechoslovakia. You know, you think about it in you know, your textbooks in American history, and you know that the Czech Republic and Slovakia are you know, different countries. But in 1993, that wasn't, that wasn't easy. Václav Havel, a man of the people, guided the self-determined split of this republic of Czechoslovakia into independent countries, further enhancing the will of the people in a way that lessened his power in his position and in his seat. 
Havel, originally, he was in favor of remaining one country. He did want to remain Czechoslovakia, but he led the country through a peaceful breakup. Democracy in action, the will of the people in play. And when the Czech Republic was created as one of the two successor states, he stood for election and won and became the first president January 1993. That's where he would go on to win re-election. While he's doing this, he's also overseeing the dissolution of the Warsaw Pact. He says that that was his greatest presidential achievement. So Václav Havel, the stagehand, the playwright, the the Václav to the castle man who's being cheered by the demonstrators, 100,000 strong, now is in rooms at the seat at the head of NATO with folks like Donald Rumsfeld from the United States, with folks like, um, you know, from across the world. Angela Merkel in her early career would be looped in here, and she comes back and has a lot of great things to say about Václav Havel towards the end. I mean, the Warsaw Pact, remember, I think about this as a theme, He goes on to break up his own country, and he goes on to break up the five entwined Soviet states. So if you think about Ivan Konev and his Statue of Liberation, and he comes into town, and the hard communism comes in, and it's, you know, leading the attack of Operation Danube, the Warsaw Pact's Operation Danube, which is all of these countries coming together to occupy Prague. Well, the person who beats Ivan Konev in the end is Václav Havel, who oversees the dismantling of the Warsaw Pact altogether. Ivan Konev may have won the battle, but Václav Havel's politics and policies and his stature, it wins the war as far as Operation Danube is concerned. The Statue of Liberation, you know, that's what we were talking about, we're talking about Ivan Konev and the Statue of Liberation and what is fact, what is history, what is fiction, what is propaganda. And what we know is that the liberator in this story is Václav Havel. He grew into the power of this seat and structured it in a way that gave liberty to not only his own country and not only through his own spirit of direct democracy, oversaw a peaceful breakup, but also was able to administer that into foreign policy in the breakup of the Warsaw Pact. The stagehand pulled back the Iron Curtains from the 20th century's decades-long drama. The stagehand pulled back the Iron Curtains. Havel died on the morning of December 18th, 2011. He was 75 years old. A week before his death, he met with a longtime friend of his, a longtime pen pal, the Dalai Lama, who came to Prague to visit Václav Havel. Havel at the time, he was in a wheelchair, and you know, after his death, the world spoke. Um, the Dalai Lama is a great friend of Václav Havel, and he says that he talks about, um, you know, look up, Google, Dalai Lama, Václav Havel, talks about how he sees me eye to eye and how in his eyes as the Dalai Lama, on one hand, it's Desmond Tutu in South Africa, and on the other, it's Václav Havel in Europe as the forces that he 
stays in contact with the most to be in touch with the spirit of humanity. The Dalai Lama is saying this. Another presidential, you know, authority on, you know, spirit and humanity, I would contend is, you know, United States President Barack Obama. Here's a quote from Barack Obama in 2011. His peaceful resistance shook the foundations of an empire, exposed the emptiness of a repressive ideology, and proved that moral leadership is more powerful than any weapon. President Barack Obama. Um, Angela Merkel, she hails Václav Havel as a great European. She writes a letter of, of condolence and a letter of sorrow for the people of, of Czechoslovakia, of the Czech, Repu- Czech Republic, um, and she writes, his fight for freedom and democracy was, an un- was as unforgettable as his great humanity. Um, Angela Merkel you know, grew up in East Germany. She gets it. She understands what it would have been like to be with- behind this Iron Curtain. We Germans in particular have much for which we are grateful to him, Václav Havel. We mourn this loss of a great European with you. British Prime Minister at the time, David Cameron, he says how deeply saddened that he was for his passing and that Europe owed Havel a profound debt. Havel devoted his life to the cause of human freedom. For years, communism tried to crush him and to extinguish his voice, but Havel could not be silenced. We jumped right in and what we know is that the world has reverence for this individual, for this person's story. And as a playwright and as an author and as a dissident and as a prisoner and as a protest leader and as the author of the Charter of 77 and as a person who once in power did not let that corrupt them absolutely, but instead continued to practice the role of direct democracy, even to the extent of overseeing the breakup of the country that he was the president of. One in one billion types of individuals here is what we're looking at, and it only is in this context of the Statue of Liberation that, you know, you think about the word Statue of Liberation on Ivan Konev in the context of what the people of Prague know about Václav Havel there is one liberator. So we have to step back and return to Václav Havel's beginning. We have to return to his story and see how he gets there. Why else would I be talking about Václav Havel like Min, Lynn Manuel's Hamilton 2.0? Because there will be a revolution in this century. Enter me, he says in parentheses. There's still these words that appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.